This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, BFM's video game show. This is the last episode for the month of November and that means Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopore.com will be with me to wrap up the month. It's an interesting month filled with a few major announcements but we're going to start with some sad news in the industry. Bungie, creator of the Destiny franchise, has laid off a considerable number of its employees amidst reports of the player base for Destiny 2 dwindling. Jonathan Leo has more on this. It's close to 100 according to uh, some sources here and there. But the thing about the layoffs from Bungie is actually this wasn't a Sony directive considering that Sony currently owns Bungie as a studio, as one of its like subsidiaries. So this is more like uh, Bungie's taking responsibility for the layoffs. And they did it in a way where basically they don't have to pay for healthcare and other benefits or whatnot. So it's a bit... If they were told like in a way, in a very last minute kind of way which is kind of crap on their part and I guess the worst part is um, some of the high profile staff like Michael Salvatore who has been making music for Destiny and Destiny 2 for lord knows how long I mean for Bun- Dave, he's been working for Bungie for very very long is also one of the folks who were laid off so it's pretty bad and as a result Destiny 2's uh, final expansion called The Final Shape will be out in June 2024 which is a delay while its upcoming marathon remake will be coming out on the 2025 instead of 2024. So this is, uh, I mean, yeah, it's really sad that, again, apart from product being delayed, it's also kind of sad that the high-profile studio that has been told that, oh, we won't be facing layoffs when Sony has bought us, has faced layoffs. Hmm. Um, do we know the reason behind why this happened? Uh, it's unconfirmed basically okay there are actually a lot of factors like dwindling numbers of people playing Destiny 2 alongside the disappointing pre-order numbers for the final shape the DLC for Destiny 2 has been major major factors but again this is all uh, like sources and hearsay here and there so obviously Bungie isn't going to be out and about to mention the bigger reasons they're just going to be very vague about it so it's Again, the Destiny and Destiny 2 player base has been dwindling. So it's only a matter of time where companies like Bungie have to basically figure out how to extend the lifespan of a, I guess, a 10-year-old game. And then they have to figure out what the path is from there after the final expansion has come out. And what happens after players have, you know, gotten sick of Destiny 2's many, many underwhelming promises, underwhelming um, results and deliverables. Mm, yeah, and speaking of layoffs, um, Bungie is not the only company that's affected by this. There's also layoffs in Ubisoft Canada. Uh, yes, uh, Ubisoft has laid off 124 employees worldwide, most of them in the Canadian studios, in an effort to streamline operations and enhance collective efficiency, which uh, I guess is something to do with the Canadian workforce where the company confirmed that it was reorganizing all the Canadian studios in the move to impact those 124 four positions, uh, those laid off came from the business administrative services and IT teams across a hybrid VFX studio in Montreal and the global IT team. So at least the development studios and the development, the creative side do not seem to be touched as of yet, as far as we know. Mm. And there's a slight bit of good news, at least for the Singapore side, where Ubisoft Singapore will be getting a new managing director, Jean-Francois Vallée, in a 
recent um, company gathering per se with the media and whatnot in Singapore. And that his longtime um, director, Daryl Long, will be going to Toronto to become that branch's managing director. So it's a bit of a shifting of the guard here and there. Mm. Whereas Jean-Francois will be in charge of Ubisoft Singapore, Vietnam, the Philippines, and India when January 2024 hits. And Daryl did mention, according to Yahoo Singapore, that there'll be an update for Skull & Bones stating that the game will definitely be out between January and March 2024. I mean, (laughs) considering the many, many delays the game has been going through, I guess that's some confidence being instilled, like just some clarification. Mm, All right, yeah. I hope you're not waiting with Betit Breath. (laughs) No, no, I don't think anyone is at this point in time. <laughs> All right, let's move on. And uh, a bit of gossip, uh, Borderlands 4 and Tiny Tina's Wonderland 2 uh, was spotted on a LinkedIn post. Yeah, yeah, a LinkedIn post that has been deleted as as of now, basically. Mm. So according to Eurogamer, a developer who worked at support studio Lost Boys Interactive made a reference to Borderlands 4 and Tiny Tina's Wonderlands 2 as well as an unannounced Brothers in Arms game. All these three titles under Gearbox. So yeah, the games will be built within the Unreal Engine 4, you know, the engine itself. So mm. um, so Lost Boys is actually a division of Gearbox and Gearbox is under Embracer Group. Part of the, you know, that group which is facing like massive, I guess, like cancellations and whatnot considering the master plan of, you know, gathering all these big companies and then hoping for a buyout. So, because the buyout kind of failed, they're going through a brutal restructure. So, I won't be surprised uh, if Gearbox is going to be sold off. But as of right now, I think this news, it's showing some promise. I mean, it's kind of expected that Gearbox will be making sequels to their games. Mm. Considering that Borderlands and... Actually, just the Borderlands franchise has been the biggest moneymaker throughout their entire livelihood. Mm, all right, yeah, let's move on to Konami and their latest IP, Silent Hill Ascension. Um, it was released recently, uh, but apparently it wasn't released to great reviews. <laughs> yeah, uh, so just to recap, Silent Hill Ascension is an episodic drama game where it lets viewers vote on outcomes, but only if they pay enough money to get a season pass. Mm. And basically imagine a Netflix Bandersnatcher from Black Mirror, but, you know, have actual an actual video game with people contributing to the results and that results being final. Mm. So, I can just go through a blow by blow about what happens. So, there wasn't even much moderation being done when the game was being set live for the chat to play. In fact, moderation was so poor that a lot of people were making a lot of innuendos and not re- using certain words to make, I guess, uh, instead of saying, you know, like bad words, which are obviously filtered out, they did manage to find some ways to make a lot of like, lewd comments here and there and making it overflowing like what could be a serious uh, show happening that's happening on a live stream and one of the emotes that's being sold in the season pass is a brightly coloured sticker that says it's trauma which is goes against what Silent Hill is basically like when you want to have a serious subject matter kind of game horror game like Silent Hill and you have all these like very comedic catchphrases being popped up you know that that's not the way to go around it Mm. and also, one of the odd things is that among all the slurs and all the bad words that weren't that managed to get past it, one word that was actually banned in the chat is the name Kojima, which <laughs> is obviously a reference to Hideo Kojima, who actually was, you know, broke off from Konami on very bad terms. So you can think of all the worst words you can say in the world in, and put it in this game, in the mm. chat room, but mm. you cannot use the word Kojima. That's just so weird, <laughs> honestly. 
So, of course, um, after that game came out and then the chat was automatically like locked down and then they had a press release stating that, yes, we could have done better and all that. So, stay tuned for another reinvention of the game. But apparently, no news has been made since lah. Right. Um, do you think the game has a future or? No, probably not. No. <laughs> and uh, the weird thing is, um, this all culminated in a tweet during the week of Silent Hill Ascension's launch, where former Silent Hill 2 de- designer Masahiro Ito, obviously away from Konami, stated his regret making Pyramid Head because all of his creation is actually being made as like a mocking point in the Silent Hill Ascension game, like being used as an innuendo. Oh, okay, that's unfortunate. Yes, very unfortunate. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, BlizzCon 23. Um, I think we can summarize um, some of the announcements made during the, the conference. Yeah, just in bullet points. So Diablo 4 will have a new expansion called Vessel of Hatred, slated for late 2024. The DLC will feature a new area, which is actually the swamp, the Kara swamps in Diablo 2, but with obviously new areas here and there, a new class that has never been announced before or even made an appearance, and a bunch of new mechanics, like probably mercenaries and, of course, new loot to actually get. Let's see what else. Uh, World of Warcraft will have three new expansions coming out, The War Within, Midnight, and The Last Titan, with only vague descriptions on each of them regarding Warcraft lore, but no new mechanics being announced. And uh, what else? Oh yeah, a uh, new Overwatch uh, 2 character being announced and being made playable called Mauga, the game's new tank class hero. There'll be the name's game's 39th playable character. He should be available in Season 8, which should be out by the time this podcast is out. La. All right, let's move on to another big news. Grand Theft Auto 6. Uh, so I think Rockstar came out to announce that they're going to release a trailer in December. Yeah, and it's going to be during the Game Awards 2023, which is happening on December 8th. 8am GMT plus 8 our time alright so the game has leaked prior to this it showcased like a 2019 uh, incomplete build um, showcasing a woman character fighting in a single player mode you know GTA third person open world style in the diner fighting in what looks to be I guess Miami Florida I mean Vice City lah basically mm, yeah so they're gonna use the vi- okay my predictions is they're gonna use the Vice City setting you're gonna have a female protagonist or maybe multiple pro- protagonists would be great like how it was established in part 5. And come to think of it, Grand Theft Auto Five came out in 2013. So it's like, wow, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Your uh, prediction on when the game will be released? Will they announce a release date? Okay, when they actually made... When Rockstar makes announcements like these, you can expect the game to come out on the year itself. So oh. obviously not on December. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> but probably like the year after, like uh, 12, 11 months from now. Because when Grand Theft Auto Five made an announcement, it was a year prior or okay. seven, eight months prior. So when they made this kind of announcement, yes, it's ready to come out. So it's going to come out like a year or all 12 right. months, 11 months or so. That's how Rockstar works. They can take all the time in the world to make the games because <laughs> they're like Blizzard of old. They're no one of those legacy companies where they can take five years to make a game. People are going to wait. Shareholders are going to wait. Because it's going to be the game that's going to make all the money and then some back. Awesome. All right. Moving on. Um, the Witcher has announced a new animated film called Silence of the Deep. And yep. it will be released next year, right? Yes, yes. It will be released next year, late 2024 for Netflix. And the highlight of this is um, the voice for Geralt will be Doc Cuckle who has actually made his voice heard in the video game, Witcher video game series. Mm. So you get to hear that really... Nice, sexy, gravelly 
manly voice that people actually like from the games. So the game story itself will be like, um, he, uh, the Witcher will be investigating a series of attacks from mermaids to find out what's been going on between humans and mermaids in this village. Mm. And that's about it. It's going to be a movie, standalone. And yeah, Doc, Doc Cuckle will definitely be be the highlight lah, because he has always been like the most memorable, iconic voice for The Witcher. Mm, yeah, and it'll be released in um, late 2024, right? Yep. All right. Okay, moving on. Uh, we also have um, results from the League of Legends uh, Worlds 2023. Yes, after seven long years, Faker has finally secured his fourth world championship with his team T1 SK. With uh, Weibo Gaming securing second place and Bilibili Gaming securing third place. So just to note, he this is basically Faker's fourth win for Worlds. And whether it will be continuing his run, it, that remains to be seen. He's still making up his mind and whatnot as you know, he's securing his victory in mm-hmm. League of Legends Worlds. Mm, Alright, fantastic. And moving on, um, you have some news regarding Remnant 2. Uh, it sold 2 million copies since um, it's released in late July. Yeah, that's actually like a couple of months. Um, that's from July, August, September. Yeah, that's like what, five months or so? Mm. Yeah, that's really good considering that Remnant 2 got a bit of promotion under Embracer Group, which is currently, you know, in under fire. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's actually building up off the solid foundation of the first Remnant, except Remnant 2 has a lot more randomized levels, has a much more upgraded gameplay and class system. And people just like teaming up as in groups of three, you know, fighting in the Dark Souls kind of universe except with guns. And he's got the whole loot tutor shooter thing going on, which is great. And I'm not really surprised that the game sold a lot of copies considering that the reputation of the first game is very, very high. So the fact that Gunfire Games followed up with a very solid and well-improved sequel just shows that okay, like, this is the success it gets. Alright, fantastic. And last but not least, you mentioned the Game Awards just now. Um, So the nominees have already been announced, right? Yeah, maybe we can yeah. talk a bit about them. We're not going to mention the whole list, but yeah. we will mention that, yes, for the Game of the Year nominees, that part will be Alan Wake 2, Baldur's Gate 3, Marvel Spider-Man 2, Resident Evil 4, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, and The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. With Alan Wake 2 and Baldur's Gate 3 nabbing the most nominations among all the categories announced. But let's not talk about the big games. Let's talk about like the games that were nominated from Southeast Asia. So one of the most prominent titles in this list, in this uh, nominees thing, is A Space for the Unbound, an Indonesian-made adventure game with 2D pixel graphics and a lovely story. Mm. And that game has been nominated as one of the games under the Games for Change um, category. Together with another indie game called Venba, which is focused on South Asia and Indian culture and immigration. Mm. So that's one of the titles. So I guess, um, I think that's a, yeah, that's a big one. Like basically, Space with the Unbound, where after, upon many community and whatnot being hearing about this news, a lot of Southeast Asian developers and whatnot and writers and content creators were basically voting for this game to get the win for Games for Change. So we all basically, I mean, despite the fact that, you know, I'm Malaysian, and a lot of the writers and content creators are not Indonesian, they still vote for this game as a way to, you know, champion a Southeast Asian made game to be on the pedestal. Mm, so it's yeah. really good to see everyone unite. Yeah, A Space for the Unbound is developed by Mojiken Studio, right? Uh, Mojiken Studio, yes, which was mm-hmm. recently acquired by Toge Productions. Oh, all right. Uh, just all right. recently, yeah. 
And it's good, lah. You know, like you know, yes, we all argue about food with different <laughs> uh, countries in Southeast Asia, of course, about who has the best food, yada yada. But when it comes to uniting over what oh, on common ground, especially for games, yeah, this is uh, the way to go. That was Jonathan Liu, KKP's content director, rounding up the biggest news in November. We'll be talking about November releases after the short break, including Robocop Rogue City and Like a Dragon Gaiden, The Man Who Erased His Name. Stay tuned and listening to GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9 You're listening to GG Well Played With me Hanif Baharudin Jonathan Leo Content Director At Kakuchoparade.com Joins me for our Monthly Roundup And we're going to start Our game Roundup With Robocop Rogue City Developed by Theon Um, yes, so I played a lot of Robocop Rogue City when it came out. So it's a first-person shooter where you control Robocop. So when you're walking, you get to hear the, you know, that, the, 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 that footprint sound he makes mm. in the movie. It's very authentic to the movie, the first Robocop. And in a way, the second Robocop. Lah. Robocop Rogue City takes place, I believe, between part two and part three. And yes, true to the movie, the source material, it is very, very violent. I mean, a lot of, you know, things I can't describe on a... All ages show happens when you shoot someone in the head and in you know parts unknown. Look out! Mm. And uh, yeah, you got the standard storyline where you have to basically fight crime. You know, there's a new bad guy in town in Ro- in Detroit, and you gotta figure out what's going on. You get to fight bosses like ED209. You get to fight, you know, basically clean up the streets uh, in RPG form. You can to do detective work. You even get to level up Robocop. You get to put stats. You know, when you to solve certain cases here and there. Like, there are some cases that are locked away unless you have to correct stats. So there's a bit of replayability there. And, yeah, it fulfills the Robocop power fantasy to a T. It's arguably shallow because all you do is basically, quote-unquote, arresting arresting bad guys by shooting them really, really bad. But Mm. it's still got the meaty gameplay, the sound effects and the controls are great. I mean, you are controlling a robot, so and he's supposed to be slow and whatnot. And it's just really fun. And you can level up, like I said, like, and of course the best part is Peter Peter Weller, who voiced the original Robocop, is in the game. And he delivers his lines in the best deadpan way possible. Lewis? I'm alright, Murphy. Drop your weapon, you are under arrest. Oh, fantastic. Um, the movement, yeah, you're, I mean, it looks like you have, you're moving very slowly. Um, is that a hindrance to the gameplay? Oh, no, it's not because Robocop can take a lot of damage and there's a lot of cover and he can also grab things around him and throw them in any direction. You can grab enemies, you can grab exploding barrels, you can grab like a computer screen and just a computer monitor, like the 80s monitor, and you can just throw them at someone and it explodes. It's just really, really fun. Again, like I said, the only issue is it gets shallow, but that's... Again, for a game to succeed... Like, for a licensed game to just actually get the bare minimum done and it does a lot more in terms of, like, making an RPG, I'd say Taeyeon did a great job. Taeyeon are the developers of the game, and they did... Mm-hmm. The last game they did was Terminator Resistance, and that actually got some good critical feedback. Mm. So I'm glad that whatever they learn from doing Terminator Resistance, they do it in full force in Robocop Rogue City. So I'd say they could say this is like a sleeper hit, especially if you love the original movie and its tone and whatnot, the sat- satirical uh, police force tone. 
All right. Okay. Moving on. We also have um, cuisinier. Yeah. Yep. Cuisinier. Yes. Yeah, okay. It's a Singapore-made game from Battle Brew Productions. It is a roguelike, isometric action game mixed together with a restaurant management sim where you basically kill enemies in a couple of dungeons, you collect food, and then you cook food to actually pay off the debt that your parents have settled onto you. <laughs> it's obviously a cute, charming-looking game with a lot of humour. And all the food, that's, half the food that's being displayed on here is all Malaysian, Singaporean, Filipino food. So because they're all Singaporean uh, developers who have their love of food, they actually put it all in the game. I do feel that the action RPG portions are great. The restaurant management part is simplistic, which is fine considering that they are channeling Dynadash. But I do wish there's a way to actually fast forward the management simulation considering the fact that that's the only way you can actually earn money. But beyond that, it's actually a well competently put together game and I would recommend it if you want something on the cheap you want to spend about like 16 to 20 hours playing through the game in that many different dungeons here and there and of course making food for customers in your village mm. so it's stronger component is is like um, the action guess, part yes the action RPG part, uh, part where you get to level up your weapons you get to yeah actually that's all you do you level up your equipment come to think of it and you get to change different styles and change up your special attacks but beyond that yeah, it's simplistic, but the whole kind of charming kind of simplistic. Mm, all right. Speaking of charming, um, we also have Song of Nunu, a League of Legends story. This one looks kind of cute as well. Yes, it's actually made by Tequila Soft, Tequila Studio Softworks. They made a couple of indie platformers, so it's only natural for them to make this game. So it's actually focused on the League of Legends characters, Nunu and Willem, uh, boy and Yeti combo. So Nunu is a little boy who has a flute, very agile and can solve puzzles that, you know, a big creature cannot. And Willem is the brawn. He can fight the wolves, he can fight bad guys and, you know, solve puzzles requiring weights and, you know, punching. So they've got like basically four to five hours of 3D platforming, puzzle solving, flute playing, you know, with um, a music rhythm gaming thing going on, a lot, a lot of snowball fights as well and a really cute story involving the icy parts of the League of Legends lore. Because you know League of Legends has many different realms and this realm is focused on the Freilhorn, if mm. I'm pronouncing it correctly. Basically the ice part, mm. the ice area of the whole universe. Mm. Um, do you have to, I guess, be familiar with the League of Legends franchise to play this game? Um, it helps, but you do, can actually enter it fresh and you'll be like, oh, it's just a cute little story about a boy finding out where his mom is in the cold wilderness. Mm. All right, okay. And moving on from that... We also have um, Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, which apparently is very well received, at least on Steam. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is a really good game. So it's it's a shorter Yakuza slash Like a Dragon game from Sega. It's about like, you can finish it about 12, 15 hours with some side quests here and there. So the context is you play as Kiryu Kazuma after the ending of Yakuza 6, where he basically has to do a bunch of missions to, you know, be anonymous in the end. And it actually leads to Yakuza 7. In fact, it actually happens the same time as Yakuza Like a Dragon, the other game with Ichiman Kasuga. <laughs> so it'll actually tie in, lead in, the ending of Like a Dragon Gaiden will lead to, of course, Yakuza 8, Infinite Wealth. Sorry, Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth, which is coming out later next year. Hmm. So yeah, it retreats a lot of mechanics. It's not the strongest in terms of having side stories. Combat's still fun, but then again, all 
Yakuza game combat is really good. But it does require context from all Yakuza games, from part 1 to part 6, for you to get the feels and to understand why Kiryu is emoting the way he does in the game itself. Mm, and the Coliseum so- mode, where basically you just fight a bunch of like, you, basically you are relieving battles from part 1 to part 6. So that's the whole nostalgia factor right there. So like, like a Dragon Garden is great, but it's actually catered for old school Yakuza players. From who actually has invested their time from part one to part six. Not so much for new players. Mm. For new players, I suggest you play from part one to part six and then maybe play Yakuza Zero. Then you jump into Gaiden. All right, yeah, that's a lot of back catalog to explore first Way before playing this game, game, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Thirsty Suitors. This one is a stylish game. Tell us more about this. Okay, so it is a turn based RPG and a skateboard game hybrid where you control a girl named Jala who returns to an Indian family and American hometown with the whole Indian community going on after three years. She not only has to reconcile with her parents, but also with her past exes whom you initiate turn-based battle with. So your battles are basically very simple. You taunt your opponent, make them weak, either as a thirst taunt or a rage taunt or an impressive taunt, and then you make them weak to that and then you can use your attacks to exploit the weaknesses. Very simplistic stuff, but the whole charm of Thirsty Suitors is the dialogue, the story, the narrative, and of course the visual artwork where basically you see a lot of like very crazy bright colors coming in. You've got the whole Bollywood aesthetic going on, musical numbers happening, and you even got like a cooking mini game where it takes things up to 11. And even the skateboarding portions is like a very simplistic Tony Hawk style open world game going on, but very simplistic. But again, all this combined to the story itself where you Basically, it's like a group, it's like a therapy session between Jala and her exes, but in turn-based combat formula. Very cool looking, actually. I did enjoy my eight hours of the game. It's very, very touching and also very um, symbolic, per se, because you don't see that many games touching upon like Southeast Asian or South Asian culture that is done up in this way. And I'm glad games like this do exist. Mm, And the game isn't as long, right? About eight hours. About eight, eight, eight hours. hours or so. All right. Okay. Let's move on to another game. Um, and this one is, um, I guess, an offshoot of the Persona franchise, Persona Five Tactica. Yes, Persona Five Tactica is a spin-off, a strategy game spin-off that plays like. Mario Plus Rabbids 2, which we reviewed last time, last year. It's about 20 hours, you go through a bunch of memento dreams and all that, helping out two new characters in the game. And it's got a lot of fun little combat mechanics. Unfortunately, the game relies on too many gimmicks in its key fights, especially with the bosses, to make it a very pure tactical game. So it's very... How do you say? Uh, um, can get pretty simplistic and long-winded, especially with the fact that you have to fight bosses in a gauntlet at the last part of the game. Mm. But the story itself is very enjoyable because it focuses more on the new characters who are stuck in the Mementos universe. Alright. Um, do you have to, again, be familiar with the franchise first before playing this game? It will help, actually, so that they can understand who the Phantom Thieves are. Mm. But beyond that, I think Persona 5 Tactica is meant for fans. Just like mm. Yakuza Like a Dragon Gaiden. Alright, okay. Um, from one RPG to another, um, we have Super Mario RPG. This is a remake of the old school game, right? Yes, yes. So it is basically one case where I'm on board with remakes where you take a game that came out in 
five or six, one of mm. those years where it's basically the last Mario game on the SNES last time, and it's basically just remade all over, like keeping all of the mechanics intact and then adding in new gameplays. For those who don't know, Super Mario RPG is about Mario and his group of friends with uh, Peach and Bowser and two new Square Enix created characters as they go on an adventure to save the Mushroom Kingdom from the Smithy Gang. Smithy Gang. And you basically go through different areas, different theme areas like a pirate ship, um, a canyon, a castle and whatnot, and you fight enemies in turn-based combat. And the turn-based combat is all action commands. So whenever you do an attack, if you press the right button at the correct timing of the animation, you deal more damage or you actually can inflict follow-up, more follow-up attacks. So it's actually the first game that actually implemented this mechanic, which other indie developers have been following ever since. So having this game coming out this year with new graphics and some bonus content and the remake soundtrack is actually great because this is also Yoko Shimomura's start in the RPG business before mm. she made Kingdom Hearts back in the day. All right. Okay. So, I mean, um, if I've never played the original, I can just start with this one. Yes, right? you can. If you have an Nintendo Switch, just go straight to this game. It's great. They do a little bit of tweaks to the combat mechanic where basically the more imp action input commands you do successfully, you get more buffs. And you get to fill up a meter on the bottom, bottom left where you get to pull off a super attack when the meter is full. I think this actually makes the game much easier than the original. But I think it's good because it at least makes you speed up towards the end and then when you finish the game there's a lot of post-game content where it challenges you further to make you exploit the new system so it's a good it's a good case for new players and old players like Alright, so the I guess the uh, RPG ride continues with another franchise that's uh, that has been around for quite a while, Star Ocean The Second Story R. Yes, so Star Ocean The Second Story R is a remake of the only good Star Ocean game in this series, <laughs> uh, Star Ocean The Second Story. So it's a HD 2D remake with the sprites from the original cleared up, cleaned up and remade. And then you got the 3D graphics. So it's not like purely like Octopath Traveler 2's graphics but it's done in a way that it feels brand new, like meant for this year, but it's got that classic nostalgic feel. And the soundtrack's also, also remade okay too. But I think the best part is it keeps a lot of the great, what makes Star Ocean 2 intact, but adds a lot of new things like fast travel, counter-attacks in combat, um, a new system where if you defeat a leader in a boss fight, you get, when you defeat the leader, you get to debuff every character, every enemy, which gives you the advantage. And you also have assists in combat. So if you don't have a character in your active party, your passive, your other supporting characters can jump into the fray and attack, which adds up to your combo, like an assist in Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Mm. And a lot of highlighted limp... And also a way, like how Star Ocean 2 actually has like side stories here and there. Uh, the remake actually puts in highlights while you're exploring so that at least you know what you can miss and what you're going to miss out on. So so that if you want to actually get a particular private action of a character, like to have a, you know, like a tender moment with a side character, you can do that or choose not to. You're given the choice, basically. But at the very least, you're not going to accidentally stumble upon things or, you know, accidentally make the game harder for yourself. Mm. Is this a long game? Uh, yeah, I think my first playthrough was about um, 25 hours and then I want to go through the second playthrough to get the other characters I missed out. That's another 20 hours. But that's a new game plus, which means you get to keep all your characters in the 
current level for the second playthrough. So let's just say you end the game in level 100. Mm. When you play New Game Plus, you get to start the first stage as a level 100 character. So you get to basically play through the game easier. Lah. And plus, if you play through the new playthrough, all the optional content like the maze, the special maze in the game, I forgot what it's called, the Maze of Mirrors, and a lot of the optional boss fights as well as a way to fight the uber version of the final boss actually opens up for the second playthrough. So you mm. need to finish the game first before you get to access all the cool post-game stuff. Alright, sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's actually a really good remake. Like, uh, if you're looking for an old-school RPG that you missed out on the PS1 days for, mm. play uh, Star Ocean The Second Story R. I really do hope that other companies can remake games like this in this fashion. Like, maybe, I don't know, Xenogears. <laughs> <laughs> Just modernize them a bit, right? Rather yeah, than, yeah, yeah, modernize it in this way. Like, how the developer game drops, Gem Drops has done it. Mm, okay fantastic last but not least we also have a new Scott Pilgrim release but this is not a game this is an animated television series and called Scott Pilgrim Takes Off yeah. yes a very video game influenced comic book series which mm. you know has an anime remix that came out recently on November take my hand <sighs> the girl of my dreams out sometime you want to go on a date with me you like him don't you there were sparks you went on one date how good could it have been honestly great oh. So it's got eight episodes. It starts off familiar with the very first episode. Scott meets Romano Flowers, goes on a date, and then you got the whole fight the evil exes concept like in the 2010 movie and in the comics. Then, without spoiling anything, it takes like a 180 degree turn at the end of the first episode. And then you get to see the whole story being retold, remixed in a new perspective in from episode two onward. And I do believe a lot of fans and people are complaining about the change and the bait and switch, but I do feel that having a straight adaptation would be very boring and very safe. So I do welcome this interesting and welcome change. The voices for the, the English version actually brought back the actors from the movie, like Michael mm. Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Jason Schwartzman. Whereas the Japanese dub actually brought in like heavyweights like Hiro Shimono, who played um, Zenitsu in... Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, and Fyro's Eye as Ramona Flowers, who voice um, Jolene Kujo in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Stone Ocean. Aoi Koga also makes an appearance as Knives Chao. And for those who don't know, Aoi Koga voiced uh, Kaguya in Kaguya-sama Love and War. So a lot of like high-profile characters and players in the acting in the American Hollywood business and also the Japanese voice dubbing business are all in Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. And of course, all the video game references are there, like from the title cards, which actually is a uh, parody of uh, title cards from Nintendo games like Super Mario Brothers and Clash of Demon Head, to even a bunch of references in games and whatnot, like from Tony Hawk or like even Evangelion, the anime even gets a, there's even like a few nods here and there. So you could tell that Brian Lee O'Malley, the creator of the series, actually still has his anime and video game roots deeply in Scott Pilgrim. Mm. So um, definitely worth a watch, right? 
Yes, it is. But just come in with an open mind and make sure to watch, uh, you know, get some... I guess you need to read up on the comics and the 2010 movie to get more context and understanding as to why Scott Pilgrim takes off, takes this approach to storytelling. Mm. Does it refer more to the comic books or to, to the uh, both, movie? Both. Um, both, okay. I guess yeah. from the movie, it takes a lot from... Um, some parts here and there. I, again, I don't want to spoil it. It's very, mm. very new. Like mm. some parts here and there. And then from some themes from the comic books, it actually, they do appear in the in the Netflix show itself, but just done in a remix fashion. Mm, all right. Okay. And on that note, uh, what else can we expect uh, for December's uh, releases? Um, December, I don't know if there are any other games worth talking about. Maybe we'll bring it up on the show itself. But mm. in terms of, uh, yeah, we can expect winners from the Game Awards. All right. Yeah, okay. definitely. We'll see the winners, a lot of people complaining about who got picked and whatnot, and I do hope Space on the Abound wins lah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Here's hoping that as well. Alright, and on that note, thank you so much, John. Right, thanks. You're tuning to GG Well Played and it was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchoparade.com wrapping up the biggest news and releases in November. For more gaming news and reviews, head over to their website kakuchoparade.com. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on X at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and Please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.